Good day, everyone. Welcome to Learning Bible Truth. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D., here to take you on a tour of the Bible by reading entire books, not just one scripture of the Bible. And I will be sharing commentary with you while we read line upon line and precept upon precept of every scripture. Since you won't take the time to study and show yourself approved before God, I am bringing the scriptures to you. So get your Bibles, take out pen and paper, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's learn Bible truth. Hi, Bible truth listeners and learners. I am so happy to be back. I know I have been missing for a while, I think three weeks to be exact, but I can tell you I am happy to be back. Now, I would be lying if I told you that I got some much needed rest. I didn't. I am always involved in something. However, with that said, I am never, and I mean never, too tired to teach and share with you the living word of God. So with that said, I know when, um, but just before I left, I think I shared an episode of the first, second, and third epistles of John the Revelator. And the reason John is also called John the Revelator is because he wrote the book of Revelations, inspired by the Lord Jesus Christ. So with that said, we are going to embark on a three-episode series. Yes, it is three episodes because I cannot, and I repeat, cannot read the entire <laughs> epistle of Hebrews in one episode. Yes, we are going to have a three-part episode of the epistle or letter to the Hebrews. Now, we do not know who the author of Hebrews is. And if someone tells you or gives you a name of the author of Hebrews, it is just their opinion. Now, based on the pattern of the writings, I can tell you it is not the Apostle John, which most people think it is. And when I say most people, I'm talking about scholars, bishops, pastors. You will hear them say, well, Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. No, he did not. We cannot confirm that. If you look at the writings of Paul, now this is not relevant to the actual epistle or the content of Hebrews. But I just thought I would share because I'm quite sure most of you heard this. The Apostle Paul wrote Hebrews. No, if you look at the patterns of Paul's writings in his introduction, he always identifies himself. At the very end of his epistles, he always identify himself. So you think about it. Why would he not follow his regular pattern in the letter or epistle to the Hebrews? You think about that. Okay. Now, I, most scholars, and I agree, that the epistle to the Hebrews was written before the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70. So it probably was written between A.D. 68 and 70. But uh, we don't have an exact date, but I, I think it's safe to say before A.D. 70. Now, the outline... And the content of Hebrews, I can tell you this, is the most important information we can receive in the entire New Testament. Oh, the information you are going to hear may be for the first time in your history of being a Christian. Yes, and it is the least read in the body of Christ. Why is that? I won't speculate right now, but I have my ideas. Yeah, I have my reasons why it's not read throughout the body of Christ on a regular basis. But once we cover Hebrews, I can tell you this. You will understand that we are under a new covenant. We are not under the old covenant and Gentiles were never under the Old Testament. Okay, which which contains the old covenant. Uh, the laws that Moses gave to the children of Israel and the 
the covenant that God made between Moses and the children of Israel. We were never under that covenant. We were never under the laws that God gave to Moses for the children of Israel. And the book of Hebrews or the epistle of Hebrews tells us that. And that should give you an in indication as to why it's not read in the, in, in the majority of the uh, body of Christ. Nevertheless, I can tell you this. It is beautifully written. Yes, it is beautifully written. And the information in it, I, I am going to be reading from the New uh, International Version, which is the NIV. And... I will share that the letter to the Hebrews has 13 chapters, 13 very important chapters. And it also contains this information. I typically don't share this before reading, but Hebrews is so important. You need to know the outline of Hebrews. We are going to talk about the superiority of Christ Jesus's person. We are going to discuss that Jesus was superior and better than all the prophets. Okay. Jesus was superior and better than all the angels. Jesus was superior and better than Moses, who was a prophet, better than Joshua and all prophets who followed Joshua. Jesus is superior and better than all of them. Okay. Jesus was also superior and better than Aaron. Aaron was the first high priest chosen under the Levitical priesthood, which was under the old covenant. Okay. Now, Jesus was also declared high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek didn't have a beginning or an ending. And uh, Mel the Mel Melchizedek priesthood, um, was better than Aaron's priesthood. Did you get that? Now, Aaron was the, the first high priest ever chosen under the Levitical priesthood that was under the old covenant. Okay. Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. We're going to cover that. The, uh, Aaronic priesthood, uh, made nothing perfect. And any priesthood after that made nothing perfect. The priesthood didn't become perfect until Jesus Christ became our high priest under a new covenant. Okay. We also going to discuss how the Aaronic priesthood died. All the priests under the Aaronic priesthood passed away. Now the Aaronic priests served only shadows of the priesthood to come. And Jesus mediates a better covenant. We definitely need to understand that. Jesus, uh, uh, did you hear me say Jesus? Unbelievable. Jesus was the mediator of a better covenant. We are going to discuss that in the letter to the Hebrews. Now you see why Hebrews was so important. We are also going to discuss that Jesus was the mediator of a better covenant. That is so important. Oh, we have a better covenant. And we're going to talk about the old covenant sanctuary and its sacrifices. And we are going to talk about the new covenant sanctuary and sacrifices. We are also going to talk about the superiority of the walk of faith. Yes, a call to full assurance of faith. We are going to uh, discuss a call to steadfastness of faith. And we are going to discuss a description of faith. We are going to talk about the old covenant heroes of faith. We are going to talk about the endurance of faith. We are going to talk about Jesus's endurance. Um, we are going to talk about the value of discipline and the admonitions to love. We are going to talk about love in the social realm and love in the religious realm. In the religious realm, we are also going to talk about the conclusion of the book of Hebrews. Now, with that said, my sisters and brothers, I will be reading from the New International Version. OK, it doesn't matter which version you have. In the end, we will end up in the same place. I can assure you of that. 
So I hope you are in the book of Hebrews chapter one and beginning at verse one. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Let me repeat the word all. Underline the word all in your Bible. Whom he, God, appointed heir of all things. Talking about his son, Jesus. And through whom also he made the universe. Through whom what? Jesus. He made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So we are talking about Jesus being the radiance of God's glory and Jesus being the exact representation of God's being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Remember, Jesus is the walking word of God. Now, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now, that was verses one through three. Now we are moving to verse four. So he became as much superior to the angels. Remember, I talked about we were going to um, that Hebrews was going to teach that Jesus is superior to angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Verse five, for to which of the angels did God ever say you are my son? None, none of them. Today I have begotten your father or again, I will be his father. Let me read that again. Verse five, for, for to which of the angels did God ever say you are my son? Today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. Verse six. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. This is confirming the superiority of Jesus to any angel, all angels. Okay. Verse seven. In speaking of the angels, he says he makes his angels spirits. And his servants flames of fire. Verse 8. But about the son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter, excuse me, a scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. Verse 9. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions. By anointing you with the oil of joy. Verse 10. He also says in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. Verse 11. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Verse 12. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed, but you remain the same. And your years will never end. Now, let me talk about that for one second. Now, Christ is presented as the creator of the heavens and the earth. Okay. And as the immutable one. Now, the superiority of Christ is evident in his enthronement. Okay. You can read Psalms 110. Verses one, while all the angels are but ministers who serve both Christ and the saints. Okay, now let me pick up at uh, verse 13. Hmm. Let me read verse 13 again. Uh, I think I read verse 13. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand? None. He never told the angels to sit at his right hand, but that's where Jesus is. Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Verse 14. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Oh, ha, ha. Woo. we just confirm how Jesus is superior to all the angels. Now, chapter two. 
we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For Verse 2, for since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received, it's just punishment. Verse 3, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now, let's look at this a, a, a little bit more closely, if I can. I'm trying to pull up my notes. Now, because of the, the greatness of Christ, let's make no mistake about it, it's talking about the greatness of Christ. Now, Christians must be careful lest they drift away from what he was spoken or what he has spoken. Now, the figure is that of a ship drifting past its safe anchor anchorage. OK, believers ought to take heed lest adverse doctrine sweep them away from their Christian convictions. We have a lot of false teachings out here and we have to be careful. So the letter to the Hebrews. Now the targeted audience is Jewish Christians. Okay. But this letter is also for Gentiles. We are Gentiles. We are Christians. Okay. So whatever is written to the Jewish Christians is for us today. Not everything though. Okay. Some, some things are written just to the Jews, the children of Israel. God still has some promises to fulfill to the children of Israel too. That does not include us. Now that's another teaching, but I thought I would throw that in right here. Now verse two is the message spoken through angels. Now this refers to the Mosaic law, which the angels mediated. Okay. You can, can, can go back to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 32, verse two, Psalm 68, 17, Acts, uh, uh, chapter seven, verse 53 and Galatians chapter three, verse 19. If you want to cross reference this. Okay. Now verses three and four, the author argues from the lesser to the greater. Now, if disobedience to a, a revelation transmitted by angels was severely punished, indifference to the salvation brought by Christ receives even greater punishment. That's what verses three and four is talking about. The greatness of salvation is confirmed by three facts. It was announced by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It was confirmed by the apostles and it was attested by the ministry of the Holy Spirit through miracles and spiritual gifts. Now, if you want to cross reference that, you can also go to first Corinthians chapter 12 verses eight through 11. It is an, an age long expectation that such manifestations of Christ's glory will be ministered by the Holy Spirit in confirming the spread of the gospel. You can also read Mark chapter 16 verse 20 and first Corinthians chapter two, verse four. Now let's pick up at verse five in chapter two. It is not the angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking verse six, but there is a place where someone has testified. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. Verse seven, you made them a little lower than the angels talking about man in general. Uh, you made them man in general, a little lower than the angels. You crown them with glory and honor. Verse eight, and put everything under their feet in putting everything under them. God left nothing that is not subject to them. Verse five. Um, yet at wait, hold up. Let me see. Uh, verse seven, verse eight and put everything under their feet in putting everything under them. God left nothing that is not subject to them yet at present. We do not see everything subject to them. Verse nine, but we do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while. Now what we are talking about here. Oh, thank you. Holy spirit. 
because this has to be explained to a lot of people because of this verse being misunderstood by people who are not called to teach because it's people who are not called and gifted to teach who mislead people in the scriptures. They use this scripture here. Um, let me, let me read it again. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. Verse uh, nine, but we do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels. What they're talking about here is because Jesus um, came to this earth with flesh. He was made Lord and angels because see the angels are spirits. So you have to remember Jesus was 100% flesh and he was 100% God in spirit. And there are some false teachers who use verse nine, but we, but uh, we do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels as saying Jesus wasn't God. That's not what just this is talking about. Because if you go back to the, the scriptures we just read, it put Jesus superior to angels. So we know that's not what verse nine is talking about. Um, re, let me read that again. But we do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while talking about his flesh. Okay. Now crowned with glory and honor. Because he suffered death so that by grace, by, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He couldn't die in the flesh if he didn't put on flesh. Okay. He was made Lord in the angels when he put on flesh, but because the angels are spirits. Okay. And I hope I was able to clarify that. It's simple. It is. This is not something to where you need to go through an encyclopedia to try to figure out. This is not rocket science. Um, verse 10 in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Oh, hallelujah. Verse 11, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters talking about us. He is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. And we are the siblings of Christ because Christ came here as a man. He is the firstborn of many. Okay. He is our brother. He is also our Lord. Um, let me pick up again at verse 11. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, verse 12, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. Verse 13. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am. Oh no. And again, he says, here am I. And the children God has given me. Now, let's talk about this um, in more detail. Now, there is a profound unity between Jesus and those he saves. Okay. We are brothers and sisters, like I said before, because in physical birth, Jesus shares our, uh, our descent from Adam. Okay. And in the new birth, believers become members of the family of God through Jesus. We definitely need to understand that in the new birth. Okay. We become members of God and members of his family through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, remember, I always say that. We have to go through the adoption agency of the Lord Jesus Christ to become a child of God. And if you are not trying to go through God through the front door, who is Jesus, you are not a child of God and you will never become a child of God. It doesn't matter what religion you attach yourself to. You have to also understand this. Christ never came here or came to earth to give us another religion. He came to give us salvation. He came to give us a way out of religion and get directly to God or go directly to God through him. Okay, we need to understand that. Now, let's pick up at verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. Talking about Satan. That is the devil. Verse 15. 
and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. We no longer have to fear death anymore because we have been given eternal life through Christ. Okay, now this doesn't take, uh, you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand verse 15. Let me read that again. And Christ, we're talking about Christ. He freed those who, who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Hmm. Verse 16. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. Verse 17. Because we are Abraham's descendants, those who are in Christ. Uh, verse 17. For this reason, he had to be made like them. Talking about Jesus, the writer is explaining. He had to be made like us in human flesh. Okay. Um, fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. This is so powerful. I hope y'all are getting this in your spirit like I am because I feel like shouting right here, but I am trying to contain myself because if it wasn't for what Jesus did on that cross, we all would be dead, spiritually dead, spiritually cut off from God and doomed to eternal damnation. But because of what Christ did on that cross, the ground was leveled so that any man can come to Christ and be saved from religion. Religion couldn't save. I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but we are going to read where religion couldn't save. Okay. Now let me pick up at verse 18 again, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. And I don't mean again. I mean, uh, let me pick up at verse 18. Now, if I wanted to reread verse 17, I, 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 which is what I was getting ready to do. That's why I said, let me read again. But as a matter of fact, let me go back to verse 17 so you can uh, understand what I just said. Verse 17. For this reason, he had to be made like them, talking about made like us in flesh, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for, for the sins of the people, talking about us. Verse 18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's why, see God, Although he knows everything, he knows the future, um, he still didn't, God is not flesh, he is spirit. He couldn't quite understand why we were just so disobedient. That's why he had to put on flesh and come down here as his son. He had to do that so that we or he could understand fully why we are the way we are. Okay. And because Jesus suffered when he was tempted. And let me tell you something. You can't be tempted unless you want to do it. See, the flesh is always tempted, but Jesus never wavered. He was tempted, meaning he wanted to sin, but he didn't. Because if Jesus would have sinned like Adam did in the Garden of Eden, we wouldn't be saved. He couldn't save us. A sinner can't save a sinner. Oh, I said something there. A sinner cannot save a sinner. And we need to, to understand that. Uh, let me read 18 again, because this is very important because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. See, it's, it's Jesus. Don't call on Jesus after you uh, 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 look after you sin in the flesh. You need to call on him when you have those thoughts so that he can prevent you from doing it. See, Jesus will help you not sin because he didn't sin when he was in the flesh, although he was tempted. Okay, verse, uh, oh, we are going into chapter three. I was about to say verse 19. I forgot um, chapter two only had 18 verses. Now we're going into chapter three. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Oh, yes. Hallelujah. Whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, which is God. Just as Moses was faithful in all God's houses. Verse three, this is very important now talking about Jesus is superior to Moses. We're getting ready to uh, read this. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. Just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. Oh, oh, I don't think y'all caught that. I do not think y'all caught that. 
Verse three again, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. Verse four, for every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Verse five, Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house. Oh, here it come. Bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. Verse six, but Jesus is faithful as the son over God's house. Did y'all get that? Moses, verse five says Moses was faithful as a servant in God's house. But Christ Jesus is faithful as the son over God's house. Jesus is superior to Moses. And we are his house. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and hope in which we glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God for his son. Verse seven. So as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Hear whose voice? The voice of Jesus. Don't harden your heart as you did in the rebellion. Now we're talking about the children of Israel. This here um, is talking about the Israelites, the children of Israel, when they, God sent Moses to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Because for those of you who know the story of the children of Israel, they were held in captivity to the Egyptians who were black, by the way. They enslaved the children of Israel for 430 years. And um, they rebelled when God sent Moses to deliver them. They were in the wilderness. That's how they ended up in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Because the land that God was going to give the children of Israel, they sent, I think, two or three spies to spy out the land. And they came back with a negative report. And so the children of Israel sided with the, um, the, the people who brought back the negative report. One of them came back and said, no, we, can, we are well able. They should have listened to him. And as a result of rebelling against God, the children of Israel were left to die in the wilderness. They were in the wilderness for 40 years and they were left to die there. So don't, don't you ever want to go through the wilderness experience. And this was a result of them rebelling against God. Um, let me, let me read that again so that you can understand what, what I'm talking about. Uh, verse seven. So as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Okay. During the time of testing in the wilderness, verse nine, where your ancestors tested and tried me though for 40 years, they saw what I did. That is verse 10. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. Verse 11. So I declared on oath in my anger that it's God talking. They shall never enter my rest. The rest is in Jesus and the children of Israel never entered his rest. His rest is eternal life through Jesus. Now, now listen, verse 12, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. This is the writer encouraging them to stay with Jesus. Don't turn away from the living God or like we just read, the same thing that happened to the children of Israel can happen to you. Okay. Verse 13, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Verse 14, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Verse 15, as has just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And he's saying this again as you did in the rebellion, talking about their ancestors. Verse 16, who were, who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And I told y'all this story before we got to it. I knew it was coming, but I was sharing with you um, why God said what he did. I'm sorry, why God said what he did when he talked about rebelling. Uh, verse 17, and with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, 
whose bodies perished in the wilderness. For those of you who, who always telling people, Oh, look now, don't go through the wilderness experience. No, it's not an experience. It's a death. He said the, uh, whose bodies perished in the wilderness. Okay. Verse 18. And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest? If not to those who disobeyed verse 19. So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Those who don't believe in the works that Christ did on the cross, the writer is trying to explain to them now, look now, don't go the route the children of Israel did, the ones who perished in the wilderness. They didn't believe God. Okay, so that's why they perished. You have today while you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. You need to accept Christ today because let me tell you something. If your spirit leaves your body today, and you come before the great white throne judgment, the judgment seat of God. I'm here to tell you that's not where you plead your case. Uh-uh. You need to accept Christ today because there you can't plead your, your case. There you are going before the great white throne for your sentencing. See, your trial is right here on earth. You better accept Christ before your, your, your spirit leaves your body. Okay. Nobody else is offering you eternal life. None. No religion does. See, Jesus is not a religion. He's a savior. Okay. We are moving into chapter four. Praise God. Now, verse one, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, I just told you that it's still available today. Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Ah, uh, don't turn away from Christ and let somebody lead you back to rituals. Okay, in traditions, because that can't save you. Verse two, for we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Because you have to believe God when he talked to you. That is what this is talking about. The children of Israel didn't believe God. They heard the same message when Moses was delivering them from the Egyptians. From Egypt, the Egyptians had enslaved the children of Israel for 430 years. But because they were walking by what they saw, the spires that God sent in to the land so that they can take over that was filled with milk and honey, they came back with a bad report. So they decided not to believe Moses anymore. They, they chose not to believe the man of God. They chose to believe the spies. Oh, no, they said we can't. They are giants in that land. We can't overtake them. They are of great stature. If God tells you to do something, you better do it. In this case, he's talking about you better stick with my son. Okay. Jesus represents that land flowing with milk and honey that the children of Israel refused to enter. That's what this is talking about. Okay. Verse three. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. Now, let me read verse two and three over again, because this is very important. Verse two. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Verse three. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declared on, on oath in my anger. He's repeating what God says. They shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. Hallelujah. Verse four, for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in those words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. Verse five, and again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Talking about the children of Israel. Therefore, uh, and that's for anybody today who refused to accept Christ. They will never enter God's rest. Verse six. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest. And since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go, did not go in because <laughs> because of their disobedience. Verse seven. God again set a certain day calling it today. This is he. Uh, I mean, this he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, 
do not harden your heart. This is the third time God's saying it, right? This is a third warning. This is actually a warning. Today, if you hear his voice, you are hearing it now. Do not harden your hearts. For those of you who are listening and have not accepted Christ, you better accept him as Lord and Savior and believe that he is alive today. He is well and seated at the right hand of God. If you don't believe that and confess that, you are not saved. So today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Verse 8, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. See, salvation wasn't proclaimed back then. If Joshua was able to do it, Joshua was a very prominent prophet of the Old Testament. He couldn't give them rest. Verse 9, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Verse 10, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works. Oh, and let me, t let, 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 let me, ex no, let me keep reading before I explain this. Um, just as God did from his verse 11, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Now, what rest is God talking about? Now, just as God rested from his work of creation, the, the one who trusts in Christ rests in what God has done for him, for that person, for us. You know, we have ceased striving to achieve salvation by his own efforts. Okay. And in daily life ha has begun to learn a, 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 a dependence upon the Holy Spirit's help. Okay. That's the rest God is talking about. Okay. He is talking about resting in Christ. He is not talking about works, the works of the law. So don't let nobody use Hebrews to trick you. Okay. Or bewitch you, put a stumbling block in your way and misinterpret these scriptures to you. He is talking about the rest in Christ. Okay, now let's pick back up at uh, verse 11. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Whose example? The children of Israel. Verse 12, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God knows what you are thinking and he knows your heart. Before his seal is placed there, your heart got to be right. Okay, you have to have a believing heart and God knows the difference. Verse 13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Ooh, my Lord. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Okay. Hold firmly to the faith we, pro we profess. What is that faith we profess? Jesus, the son of God. That is the faith we profess. The works he, we profess, I'm sorry, the works he did on the cross. Let us hold firmly to that faith. Okay. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Oh, something was said about uh, uh, something was said right there. Saints, saints, listen, verse 15 again, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, meaning God can, Jesus Christ can empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Remember, I talked to you about Jesus being tempted and you can't be tempted unless you want to do it, but he did not sin. So that means he can help us. Verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. You need to go to Jesus now as if he is sitting next to you. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you before he ascended on high. We need to go to Jesus today when we are tempted and ask him to help us. And look, not after you sin, before you do, because he is able to help us. Oh, it's right here in verse 15 and 16. Let me read that again. 
for we do not have a high priest who is, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. God, look, Jesus is able to empathize and sympathize with us, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet. He did not sin. Verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace. Go to G Jesus is God's grace. Let us approach Jesus with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He shown up has helped me because I was going through, uh, we always ministers always being tried just like the saints are. And, um, my flesh almost took over. And if it wasn't for me going to, to Jesus and asking for the grace to help me and prevent me from, from doing what my flesh wanted me to do, which was retaliate. I don't think I'd be sitting here today. Mm -mm. I probably would have been arrested. <laughs> but thank God for Jesus. Thank God for his grace. You have to call on God's grace in your time of need. Look, not after. Because if you know that what you are getting ready to do is wrong, just as I did. I knew that what I wanted to do was my old sinful nature, which is my flesh, telling me to do, to, to retaliate. I knew it was wrong. And if I had chosen to do it, there is no grace right there. You have to suffer the consequences for your actions on earth. But I went to God. Oh, yes. I said, Jesus, I'm being, I know you know what's happening. I'm being faced with this situation and I want to retaliate with my flesh. And I'm not talking about physical retaliation. I'm talking about verbal because I have a sharp mouth that can spew sharp words. It's a gift. And I need to use my words and my gift to gab to edify people, not tear them down. Because let me tell you, I can do it. And I chose not to do it. I chose to humble myself and just agree with what was put before me. And I agreed with it so that I could have peace. So we need to utilize Jesus. Now, saints, we have covered the first four chapters. We will do chapters five, six, seven, and eight tomorrow and then complete the series uh, next weekend. So until then, continue to pray for those who were affected by Hurricane Laura. I'm sure all of you know that Hurricane Laura came ashore in uh, southwest Louisiana and the eastern part of Texas it, near Beaumont as a category four storm, my Lord. Um, 150 mile per hour winds, gusts were at 175 miles per hour. I saw some of the pictures um, and it was heart wrenching. My heart was broken. My heart was broken. We in Louisiana has suffered, I think 14 um, deaths. The youngest was a 14 year old girl, a tree fell on the house. And they weren't even in the direct path. They were in the Baton Rouge area, which was further inland. But the winds were so strong, it uh, knocked over a tree on the house and killed a 14 year old girl. And I don't know if the death toll has risen. I saw this yesterday. And uh, when I say my thoughts and prayers are with those who were impacted by this storm, that's what I mean. I, I actually and literally and factually pray for those who have suffered any type of loss, property, the loss of life. Now, we cannot say or make this insensitive statement that, well, it could have been more unless it was a family member of yours. It could have been um, the loss of more life. No, one life is one too many. Um, I don't know why we, we, we lost 14 or maybe 15 or more individuals during this storm in the Louisiana area. Um, it could have been a hundred or, or, or thousands of, of people who lost their lives. But at the end of the day, if it's your family member, that is one too many. So I'm asking uh, those who are um, willing to stand in agreement with me to pray that God sends his comforter to those who were impacted by this storm and that God turned this situation into a better situation for those who lost 
uh, whether it was property or, or uh, a, a loss the life of a family member. My heart truly goes out. Um, I hate thinking about it because it, it, it just hurts my heart to know what these people endured. And uh, my prayer will continue to be that God lift you up and that he can turn this situation around and make it a better situation for you prior to this storm making land. So with that said, we are still dealing with COVID-19. Um, continue to social distance. When you are out in public, continue to wear your mask. So until next time, Bible truth learners and listeners, peace out. All right. I hope you were enlightened by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this episode, please send your questions to trustgod55.cd at gmail.com. Or you can send me a direct message by clicking on the message button located on my podcast, Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, and Radio Public, and submit your remarks. You can also support my podcast financially by accessing all my podcasts and clicking on the support this podcast button. Whatever you choose to donate will be greatly appreciated. I am praying for God to give you a return on your seed. Praise God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, the Apostle Paul says, as it relates to sowing a seed, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Hallelujah. Now, God will give you a return on your seed as long as you sow your seed in good ground with a cheerful heart. The key is having a cheerful heart. Now, until next time, brothers and sisters, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by what we see. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D, rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. I thank you for tuning in and I hope to see you next time.